This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing, where we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators that are driving transformation across their industries. This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. In this podcast, we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators who are driving transformation across their industries. I'm Patrice Sakora, and with me is Mark Mallett, Global Head of Whole Office Strategy at Northern Trust. Mark will share insights into the current trends that impact institutional investors, especially asset managers, today. He will also discuss the role data and data analytics play in decision-making and explain how he is helping his organization move faster forward through the power of data. Before we dive into the nitty-gritty, Mark, tell us about you and the path you took to your current role at Northern Trust. Uh, sure. Well, thanks, Patrice. This is great. Really looking forward to the conversation. And I suppose I'll start by dating myself. I started my career in the financial technology industry long before the term fintech was popular. My first job was providing technical support for a portfolio accounting system. At, uh, at that time, I was working for Tom the Thompson Corporation, mm -hmm. which became Thompson Reuters and today is known as Refinitiv. Um, and after that, I had the opportunity to co-found and run a boutique consulting company that focused on process and technology in the investment management industry. And that gave me the opportunity to engage with dozens of investment managers and asset owners. Uh, I also gained you know, really valuable experience working in the technology organization at Fidelity Investments and prior to, uh, prior to joining Northern Trust back in 2010. And I think all of that background and experience really helped prepare me for my current role, where I lead whole office strategy for Northern Trust Asset Servicing. In that position, what are the top trends you're seeing in the asset management industry? Well, you know, when thinking about trends in the asset management industry, I think it helps to really consider the behavior of their clients, the asset owners. You know, and how are public pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, and other long-term investors changing? Like, what are they doing differently? You know, we continue to see increased allocations to low-cost passive products, increased allocations to alternative assets, including private equity, private credit, as well as direct investments in real estate, natural resources, and infrastructure. And, you know, additionally, some of the larger asset owners are also taking their public markets investing in-house, you know, their size and sophistication, they, you know, they think can allow them to invest at scale internally. And these behaviors are, are taking assets away from traditionally higher margin, actively managed equity and fixed income products. Uh, this negatively impacts the asset manager's top line revenues. That really you know, hurts their business. I think if you add to that sort of the increasing complexity and cost of operations, technology, whether it's increasing costs from data providers, the, all the labor cost issues that we're all dealing with you know, these days due to inflation or additional regulatory demands, you know, asset managers are being squeezed between falling revenues and rising costs. Mm -hmm. So so tell us about what asset managers are saying. Well, it's interesting. We, we just recently conducted a survey of 300 asset management firms from across the globe. Um, and we published a white paper called Driving Growth in Asset Management, the next chapter detailing the, the, some of those findings. And one of the clear conclusions from the research was increased focus on outsourcing, in particular as it relates to trading. So when you look at all uh, you know, other big outsourcing waves in the past, and again, I can date myself a little bit. I've been doing this for a long time, so I've seen a few cycles. Uh, and when you look back at some of those waves where middle and back office outsourcing really started, 
you know, cost played a really critical role. We've consistently seen big outsourcing waves start in sort of towards the end of, of bull markets where we sort of feel like we're reaching that tipping point. And then the, that outsourcing wave starts to accelerate when you know, the growth period ends. And, you know, unfortunately, it's safe to say we're past that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you look at bull markets, they're typically characterized by years of, of big asset growth, which is great. Um, and But at the same time, a lot of cost complacency those big asset levels sort of hide sort of inefficiency within, you know, within operations, you know, whether it's operations technology. Um, but then when the tide finally goes out on those assets, the costs are magnified and firms have to look inward to really think about, you know, what's core? What should they double down on and continue to do themselves? And what's non-core, what, you know, which they might outsource um, if there's a large scale provider? maybe like us, who can perform you know, those functions better um, and more cheaply and if they were to keep them in-house. And this is very much the, the setup that we had to start the middle office outsourcing wave at the end of the internet bubble that sort of peaked around 2000. And that's really where we seem to find ourselves today. That really all makes sense too. So what are some of the other interesting findings from that research? Yeah, you know, another thing that that we really found uh, was just how aware asset managers have become about the importance of data and analytics, um, which really are at the forefront of everything, you know, from improving decision making to assessing inefficient operational processes. Uh, However, you know, they still really haven't uh, figured out how to take full advantage of those capabilities. I think some of that's down to a lack of awareness of what's possible or institutional inertia. I mean, some of these are really big firms that have been doing the same thing for a long time, and there's a sort of fear of change. Mm -hmm. And then in some cases, it's simply an inability to sort of get their arms around the necessary data to take advantage of those capabilities. All right, let's take this a little more in depth. What exactly do you mean when you say data and analytics are at the forefront of everything? Sure. Well, yeah, let's start. If we start with decision making, which is ultimately what investment managers are paid to do. Many other industries have embraced data science to improve decision making or enable continuous improvement. But the investment management industry seems to really be lagging behind. Um, now, I thought it might be good to, to share an example. I'm a, I'm a bit of a golf nut um, and a data geek. So I love you know, all the advanced analytics that are now available to identify strengths and weaknesses uh, in a player's golf game. But if you look back, at, you know, even a decade or so ago, golf statistics, uh, even at the professional level, were really basic. You, know, you could track how many fairways somebody hit, how many greens were hit in regulation, maybe just you know, their average score. But there was very little correlation between those stats and success on tour. Or really, you know, more importantly, didn't really tell you which skills you were good at and which skills you know, maybe you needed to improve. <laughs> um, and you know, and I, I now know which skills I'm good at and which ones I need to improve, but that <laughs> hasn't necessarily translated to improvement. But, but yeah, then enter somebody like Mark Brody. Um, he's an avid golfer. He's also a professor um, at the Columbia Business School. And he invented this concept called shot. This is where my Boston accent comes in. It's really hard for me to say <laughs> shots. So shots gained. You know, now professional and amateur golfers can analyze specific skills, uh, the impact uh, of overall performance on uh, of driving, of approach shots, of short game putting. They can really isolate those skills. And once you're able to isolate those skills and understand, okay, well, which of those are detracting from my performance? Which of those, you know, are improving your performance? Now you have information that you can actually do something with. I wouldn't have guessed you had a Boston accent. But if you come from Boston, you should have done this with the Red Sox. 
they could use some of this right now, right? <laughs> they, they certainly could, uh, although I think it might be a little late. It might be. Now, this really does sound interesting, but how do you apply this to the asset management industry? Okay. Oh, sure. So I got a little caught up with golf, but yeah, that's as I want, want to do. But there is a direct correlation of portfolio management. And you know, historically, the assessment of investment products is focused on past performance or the results. It hasn't been focused on whether or not the portfolio manager has actually consistently demonstrated skilled decision-making. You know, are they actually good at making decisions? And when you boil it down, portfolio management ultimately is decision-making. And there are a handful of key decision-making skills, you know, including when do you add a new investment to your portfolio? When do you, you know, when and how do you scale up that new position as it's first added to the portfolio? whether you should add or an existing position over the life of sort of that holding. And then most importantly, when do you sell out of that position? When do you finally decide, look, I've taken enough gain or I've had too much of a loss. And look, some portfolio managers are really great at picking stocks, at figuring out which port, you know, new stocks to add to their portfolio, but they're not really great at scaling. They're not really good at sizing. And ultimately what that means is they don't maximize the value of that stock picking skill. But if all you did was look at those historical stats, hey, how did I perform over the last year? It's not going to tell you anything about the skill. But through the development of advanced behavioral analytics, we can isolate which of these skills portfolio managers consistently demonstrate value creation or value destruction. And so sort of back to the golf, like these advanced analytics can enable portfolio managers to identify which skills they actually need to improve and where they need to practice to get, you know, think of it, the importance of what they do. They're managing people's future retirement savings. They're managing, you know, these large pools of important assets. Wouldn't it be great if they actually knew what they did well or poorly and where they needed to practice? And so, yeah, I think we're no longer limiting the focus on the result. I think that's, you know, it's, we can focus on the process and the underlying skills. And this information can be used to support continuous improvement, provide transparency to clients, um, clients or prospective clients then that the results are based on skill right, and not the whims of the market. All that having been said, what are some other ways that asset managers are leveraging technology and using the power of data? Um, look, yeah, I think yeah, technology can provide portfolio managers with the ability to find sort of more signals or ideas faster, right? So potentially improving their ability to deliver you know, alpha or performance, as people would, you know, would describe it. Um, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, they can quickly process massive amounts of data. So better and faster data analysis gives portfolio managers and analysts you know, deeper insights, the ability to analyze different scenarios, and they can identify things like poorly timed, poorly timed trades, unintended risk. Uh, cognitive bias. It sort of gets back to the, the looking at decision-making. Not only can the, that um, those analytics identify the skills that you're, you're good and bad at, but it can also identify where you might have unconscious bias in your process. And so, and maybe more importantly, some of these analytical capabilities can identify correlations that would have otherwise gone unnoticed because you simply weren't able to identify them on a, let's call it an analog basis. And mm -hmm. I think about sort of the reality, you know, today, you know, the investment process primarily is, and it's a lot of individual spreadsheets, Word documents, a lot of information in people's heads. And so, you know, that analog process has a really hard time keeping up with all the data, all the signals that are coming at these individuals every day. So I'd say while the availability of more data is generally a good thing, 
it's kind of useless if you're not able to synthesize it and do and sort of drive any meaningful insights. You know, and I guess the last thing I'd say on that is, you know, often something that's overlooked in a, in a, and can be a real source of competitive advantage is internal proprietary data. It's the stuff that only you know, nobody else knows about it. And so it's internal trades, it's their ideas on where a stock's price may go or not. And we believe there's significant value that can be unlocked if investment managers are able to realize the full potential of their own data. Mm -hmm. Now, at the beginning of our discussion, Mark, you talked about outsourcing. Have there been some meaningful changes in how asset managers think about outsourcing? Yes, they definitely have. And while there's probably a, a number of changes to how they're thinking about it, one of the most meaningful changes um, is related to outsourced trading. And I sort of mentioned that at the top as well. And in the recent past, I'd say it was really considered a radical change. Like, you know, the, you know very few firms actually outsourced their trading. A lot of times it was you know, sort of relegated to, you know, to smaller firms, but that's no longer the case. And, you know, when you're thinking about making a fairly radical or big change, I think it's helpful to look at other industries, you know, particular ones that have already experienced this type of transformation. And, you know, again, I can date myself I remember some of these things that happened, right? So I'm sure, you know, somebody in there that's maybe been working for five or 10 years probably wouldn't believe that Blockbuster was the first company to consider streaming video uh, over the internet or that Kodak actually invented the, the digital camera or Nokia, massive company, right? You know, used to hold 40% of the global sort of mobile phone market. Most of the people in their 20s probably don't know who Nokia is. So despite being visionaries in a lot of ways, these companies all failed because they couldn't or wouldn't adapt the change occurring around them, either due to ignorance or, you know, fear of cannibalizing their existing business. So I, I think about the growth of outsourced trading, similar to some of these things, and similar to the growth of cloud computing in the 90s. So at the first, the notion of cloud computing was really difficult concept for many people. Uh, there were concerns about security, you know, sharing infrastructure with a third party, losing control. But as the technology developed, it became increasingly obvious that cloud-based models would, you know, could provide scale, reduce complexity, and be, you know, cost-effective and efficient. So, yeah, in the same way, hyperscale operational solutions, you know, for asset managers will provide really high levels of productivity, efficiency, lower operational cost. So, you know, in that sense trading just becomes a service, you know, much like we now, everybody has, is very comfortable with the concept of software as a service. Well, why not trading as a service? So instead of carrying all the cost and complexity in-house, firms can move to an outsource model, free up capital to invest in growth and move costs from, uh, you know, fixed, very fixed cost base to a variable cost base. And in particular with the sort of the macro trends that we're seeing today, we believe that this, that this particular trend of outsourcing trading is, trading is going to increase. You you do realize you dated yourself with Blockbuster, Kodak, Nokia, all of them, all three of them. Right on. All right. Mark, do you have any final thoughts that you want asset managers to keep in mind about the future of investing and how they can drive their organizations faster forward? Yeah, you know, look, I've talked about a number of challenges and potential solutions, and I would imagine it can start to feel pretty overwhelming. We help our asset manager clients simplify how they categorize and think about these challenges, which really boil down to two things, cost and alpha or the performance. So our whole office strategy recognizes that clients have to focus on both and, you know, cost challenges can be addressed by leveraging scaled outsource solutions like outsource trading that we just talked about and really supporting alpha or performance can be improved by leveraging the advanced analytics we talked about. So we have a capability called investment data science and that helps portfolio managers 
ultimately make their next best investment decision. Mark, this has been fantastic. Thank you for your insights about the impact of data and data analytics and how asset managers can use and benefit from that information. And thank you for listening to Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Subscribe to Faster Forward from your favorite podcast app to be automatically notified of new episodes. This audio podcast is being provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to be taken as investment advice or a recommendation of any specific investment product or strategy. The information does not take your financial situation, investment objective, or risk tolerance into consideration. Listeners, including professionals, should under no circumstances rely upon this information as a substitute for their own research or for obtaining specific legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice from their own counsel. Northern Trust Corporation, head office 50 South LaSalle Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60603. USA Incorporated with limited liability in the U.S.